0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, The Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a five inch replaceable blade folding knife, a three inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com.
1: Well, it is June, whitetail season is coming, I am getting more excited as the day goes. We just wrapped up actually the weekend, and crew got together, did a little bow shooting, little gear, tinkering or looking at things, a little deer talk. I did record a podcast that night, and I think that'll come out next. But this podcast was recorded with the crew from River Brother Outfitters when I went up to Minnesota for the XOP Turkey Camp. And this is all whitetail talk oriented. Those guys had oh some cool stuff figured out, especially on, on the ground that they were hunting there in the bluffs. And I think, you know, we were, I was like, well, let's talk deer because I like talking deer way more than turkey. So we kind of touched on some of their oh, ins and outs of their seasons, what they like to do. I think there's a, a story, too, about a, a gun season drive that was crazy. But, yeah, I think this will be a, a good podcast given that we are – Oh, entering that June prep, July 4th is the full send, but you know, it, I'm going to start tinkering with some stuff. I just got my compound set up and you blink, it'll be like August 15th and you're like, shit, I still have so much to do. Uh, maybe this week I can prep some cams because I, I do plan on getting those out here late June. I've seen some guys already doing that and have serious FOMO. Enjoy the podcast. Team Harder and Buck... Oh. I'm gonna plug our Patreon because I appreciate those guys. And again, I will be disclosing more of my personal endeavors, information I don't want out to the masses on that platform on kind of a semi-weekly-ish basis. I'll try to show a little more over there. And I would also watch our YouTube channel. We are doing a little more gear stuff, tinker videos. I just did a video with Logan the Bowman uh, that is out on YouTube about if you're kind of thinking about going the trad route or maybe bouncing back and forth, between stick bow and compound Uh, he had a lot of good like thoughts for somebody looking to do both all right guys enjoy the pod all right we are live this is going to be part two i'll probably put them out a separate week but i'm still here in minnesota in podcast land still at turkey camp brock's going to shoot his first bird tomorrow guaranteed (laughs) we're here with the river brother outfitters crew and this is bluff country correct yes sir and you guys, despite us being a turkey camp, are deer hunters. Yeah. You guys have a pretty cool farm, pretty cool setup, but uh, it's been in the family. There's a pretty cool backstory. Why don't you walk me through that a little bit, and then we'll get into some 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 tactics, some changes in your guys's hunting behaviors over the years, the quality of buck, like some of those higher level talks that we'll get into. Absolutely. Yeah, walk me through the, a little bit of this farm, this special place.
2: Yeah. So I'm gonna let Eric take just the generational shift and the story behind it and kick us off there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So this farm um, has been in our family since 1855. Our ancestors settled it from Norway. Um, My family or our family uh, actively farmed this land up until 19, what was it, 89. Grandpa passed away. Cattle farm equipment was sold. Fortunate enough that it stayed in the family. And then in 2001, my dad got the phone call that it was time to buy the farm. And we were fortunate enough, my brother and I, that dad was in a position to purchase the farm from grandma. And we did that. And uh, right around that time, Jorgen and I were at the age where we were able to be active participants in the farm, maintain the land, participating in hunting activities, things of that nature. So uh, just truly, truly blessed to be in this position and share with all you guys today. So,
1: so let me ask this, when, when a farm goes generation to generation, does, hey, did, how does that conversation go? Because, so my family had ground and my Papa Bill bought it as an investment. Uh, he passed, it was around for like three years. Like I, I was just starting to hunt it. And the the, the three family members said, to, hey, we're, we're selling it. Like, we don't want it, we're gonna take the cash. How does that conversation go as far as when you decide to pass a farm down? Like, did mom mom and dad say, yeah, we can't live without like a, a good chunk of ground or we see value in it for the future. We want our kids to have it. What was like the major factors?
3: Yeah, so every family is different. So I'll just speak to our mm-hmm. family. Um, my brother and I are the only biological grandchildren on that side of the family. So the other siblings on my dad's side kind of stepped out of the equation and was like, hey, if there's a way that my dad, Brian, could purchase the land, like we would really like to foresee that happening and make sure it gets passed on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So very fortunate in that situation. Everybody's family situation is different. Yeah. Um, and that's the way it worked for us. So it was just, you know, that's the way it worked for us. And so this
1: place, there's a lot of history from... Mm-hmm oh decor to photos on the wall to memories like i don't know give me a break it down for our listeners as far as what this place is as far as meaning for you guys
3: yeah so um the podcast is currently happening in my house um Jorgen lives in the twin cities i live on the farm and back in college I, the light bulb went off on financial investing, right? And I realized all the toys and the four wheelers and the snowmobiles I were buying were gaining me absolutely nothing in that department. And I came up to dad and I said, hey dad, would you mind if I fix this old granary up into becoming a hunting cabin? And he goes, yeah, that'd be awesome, but my checkbook's nowhere near it, so it's all on you. And I'm like, all right, sweet, so I'm going to do this. And we come from a contractor family, so I had my uncle come by and a couple other friends and be like, hey, I understand this building needs a lot of work, but from a foundation standpoint, are we solid? And they're like, yep, green light, go for it. So we started by gutting everything. And for those that don't know, a granary is what, back in the day, they would store seed in from year to year. Because back in the day, you would grow, you would sell a portion of your crop, and you would keep a portion of your crop to plant the next year. And so this building goes straight up and then over, and then it would have four bays, so two on each side, to store grain in with ventilation underneath. And then in the middle is where you would be able to back your planter in and then shovel in the grain that you needed. So I simply started by making a flat floor, gutting everything, putting insulation up, and it was just simply a uh, watertight building, insulation, solid floor, and we put a loft in it. And that's you, how it started us.
1: Did you work that project straight through, or was this like weekends <laughs> after work? Like... Oh, well, well <laughs> let, let, let's back up. Sounds we, like a
2: shit ton of work in a lot of time. At, yeah, I would. mean, we started deer camp as white tents that we rented from Winona and camper. Yeah. And then we grew into Eric's hay barn or granary. <laughs> that was hey this is the pimp shack and we got a we got a wood burning heater in here and we can actually sleep in here without mice running across our chest. That was the biggest thing behind it. And everyone thought that was that was the Cadillac shack.
3: Yeah, I mean, Jurgen brought up a great point. We when we bought the land we started with campers. And we How old
2: were you at this point? Cuz that paints and- a picture. Oh, well, 01 is when we bought the farm. So. I ain't that good at math, man. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah you would have been nine. Yep. yep. So you guys were coming up here as kids. Yeah. You we
1: were deer coming, hunting, I remember, I remember sleeping the, in ca- uh, yeah.
2: campers. Yeah, yep. I, mean, I mean, the first memory that Eric and I had here were we were fighting over driving on the tractor, mowing down the, the crappy trees mm. that, that it's now a crop field. And then we grew into what is now Eric's house, and mom and dad are over the hill, and, I mean, it, it's grown quite quite amazingly, I mean, if you think about it in the long term. It, it went quickly, but, I mean, it. back in the day, we were sleeping in tents, and mice running across our chest, and telling stories of that.
3: Yeah, so we started with the camper that would come back and forth with us from the cities, because we didn't live on the farm, mm. and then... We, uh, dad bought a different camper that stayed on the farm, got mice infested, kind of went to crap. And then he went to the point of buying a job site trailer that might've been bigger, but the insulation was worse. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was arguably a step backwards, but you could fit more people in it. And so it all worked out. And then in college, I, you know, started investing into the granary and making that art- our hunting camp and just to be able to be farther than eight feet apart from the person across from you, everyone was over the moon excited. Yeah. And then after college, I put an addition on the granary or to turn into my house and then another addition to make the garage where we're having the podcast today. Very. So what kind of, back at that, when you guys were starting nine and whatever, however old you were,
4: what were kind of your, like, how did y'all hunt back then? What was your your style, your tactics for the bluff country? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing about and, it. And what was the acres that you guys had at that point on the, that you yeah, could run on?
2: Yeah, I mean, at the biggest, like when we first started, it was right around 700 acres that we were running on. But every, like when you got, Eric and I, our first hunt was with Grandpa. And it was at Grandpa's pond, no matter what, like you were there with Grandpa in that stand, and, the funniest part about that is everyone, you know, nowadays is like, you got to park miles away and you got to walk in. And Grandpa says, get in the driver's seat, drive me right to the stand, and then you can go park the truck.
3: I'm, and Jorgen not, and I would park the truck at the age of 12 and then walk back to the stand. Like you drop Grandpa at the base of the stand. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd walk, and then you'd drive it all the way to the road and you walk back. And guess
2: what? Both of our first deer were shot out of that stand with grandpa mine. I, he woke me up from a nap. He hits me and he, jargon, here comes your big buck. And I'm like, i And waking up and six pointer walking in. I'm like, holy smokes, here we go. 12 year old jargon, he gets down to the pond and him right there. And I think your first one, you, you killed a buck and what, three does that, that morning with grandpa?
3: Well, my first hunt with Grandpa was even funnier than that. So I dropped Grandpa off, went and drove to the other side of the farm, parked by the fence line, then walked back. Sunlight comes up, over the hill walks a doe, right down to the pond, and Grandpa's always saying was, "Shoot on, you shoot first, then I shoot, okay? And so we dropped this doe at five minutes after sunlight. And I'm over the moon excited, like, want to go, like... That's yeah. the first ever animal I harvested. And grandpa's like, no, <laughs> we're not done hunting. And I'm like, are no, you dude. kidding me? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, all right, sounds good. Like, I've never done this hunting thing. I'm 12 years old. Let's see what it's all about. And so then, in like 30 minutes go by and grandpa goes, hey, you got those paper towels? I go, yeah, grandpa, but that's what I'm going to be using to clean the deer with. He goes, well, you have to find some more. I need them. Walks to the bottom of the stand, walks 10 feet, takes a dump, <laughs> <laughs> crawls back up into the stand, and not even a half hour later, out walks another one. We shoot Grandpa's deer, walk down, clean them both. And it's like, that's the way Jorgen and I first hunt wins both with Grandpa. And the funniest part is uh, he always made us bring tomato soup. That was our morning treat to warm you up. Oh, in the, you yeah, in the thermos. Yeah, in the thermos. That's, that's sweet. sweet. And it's the best thing at warming you up, and I have yet to do it since. So, oh, how I was going to ask. It. I was like, oh, sure. Tradition. Tradition. Yeah.
5: yeah. You know why he hasn't done it since? Because he leaves before he gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
4: So that, so, okay, so first hunt is always with Grandpa. Yep. yep. Things and, have come a long way. Right, yeah. right, right. Then what? Then I mean, as as the years
2: developed, and Eric and I gained more whitetail knowledge, right? And dad's crew always drove our land. And so you get a group of guys together, you have some posters. That Did touch. anybody bow hunt back in the day? No one bow hunted back in the day. I mean, very, I think Casey was maybe the only one that bow hunted back in the day, if that. But it was everyone got together during slog like season. You had your two weekends, and you drove the land, and you killed. We, I mean, we killed some very respectable deer during that time. But as we learned throughout the process that once we got old enough and wise enough, as you would say, that we figured out that that might have not been the best practice, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, Eric probably has some better stories on the driving side of, just really figuring that out as it so, went.
4: So a drive too to just keep it really simple. And posters break that down. How did that look? And so you guys have posters or standards. Some people say, yep. And then you guys would just have a line of guys. Yep. line up on the one end. And, and drive drive walk, through, them. walk yep. through the walk right walk through. right
2: through the woods and all that. But the biggest thing is. If you can see that guy, you got to let the deer pass you before you can shoot him, right? Mm-hmm. You got to know what's past yep. while you're shooting him. And so, the, you a know, dry, drives get a little scary if you don't know what you're doing Yeah. to that point. Yeah. Um, and and you, it, do you guys do drives anymore? We don't, yep. no.
3: We just do one drive on a small chunk of woods that I call unhuntable because the Tip of the hillside is as wide as a deer bed. So if you come in on either side, the deer know you're there, and it's what maybe ten acres. Yeah, if that's, that's the only drive we do. Other than that, it's all all sitting and sitting over. I trees. mean,
2: the when it comes to the driving, you know, I think the last year we did it was really the the pivotal year for you, Eric, and and really your best story. Is what I might say. (laughs) World War IV. Let's let's talk about it, Eric. I mean, what happened on that year? I mean, I was all sorts about her when dad told you that you could go to that top of that hill and I couldn't go with you. But yeah, you could barely. You made it to the top, but you dropped your gun, what, four times? How old were you?
3: Made. No, I was 16 because I had my truck. Okay. So Jorgen and I are the definition of street smarts, not book smarts. So we struggled in school. So on this particular year, I was in the doghouse with my mother for my grades. And hunting season always fell on midterms or whatever it was called in high school. And so I was able to go deer hunting under the expectation that I was home by a decent hour on Sunday to study for you know, my upcoming tests and things of that nature. I hadn't shot a deer all year. Uh, like Jorgen alluded to, it was you know a drive year, and uh, so dad sent me to the top of this bluff, so. How many deer were shot to
4: that point? Like
3: 25. Wait, 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 on
5: the
1: same drive? No, no, no! Without a question. Okay. Same, same gun season, 25
2: deer yeah. you yes. got off the piece. Yeah. You guys running some deer. helicopters. No, it, I mean, it, it all came down to the, the driving aspect of it. Like, it, like up to that point, everyone was meat hunters, right? But we did have the regulation in Minnesota that you had to have four points on yeah, one Yeah, but you got to have some
1: numbers uh, to, to be shooting 25 deer. Yeah,
2: that, I mean, as we've progressed through the years, we've cut down our group smaller and smaller to, hey, if you come and work on the farm or you help out or that kind of thing, then you have the right to hunt the farm. But it's also going from the years of Minnesota having the 4 point restriction to now they don't but we kept the farm the same and mm. so you guys you guys kept that hey
1: on our farm 4 points well what what if you so saw a mega 6 so we're talking 115 inch we've and actually had them and
3: like, like yeah. so we've had those at the point when Minnesota had the 4 point restriction and like This was the most impressive six pointer I've ever seen. I picked up a
1: deadhead this year, 115. I've shot like 110 inch six. Like you started, I feel like you should put an asterisk clause like five and a half inch bigger bases, Um, six points are allowed.
2: So, I mean, mean, at the same time, it's like (laughs) everyone, you know, you can age deer however you want, but it's like, if you continue to let them grow, you have the correct bedding, you have the correct food, you don't pressure them all that much, you're gonna continue to grow big deer and we've continued to prove that. I mean, we've continued to keep big deer on our property year over year over year and the neighbors don't know about them because of the restriction we put. But I mean, back to the the story of World War IV and all that, it came down to there was the four point restriction and sure we put a lot of deer down, but there were a lot of good deer in there. And it was also around management and all
1: that. When you you throw the term good deer, for our listeners, we're in Minnesota.
2: What what would you say? Good deer. You drive down the road, you catch a glimpse. Good deer. Yeah, I mean, at that time, it was probably 140 or over. Now, you have to be mid-150s. So,
3: just to, before we go down this drive story rabbit hole, just to kind of get over the evolution of, the four-point restriction of where we're at today. So to go off of what Jorgen, you know, alluded to earlier is, we don't exchange money for hunts. It's all your time, okay? And so the way we do that today is, if you exchange time for the hunt, you earn the privilege to you know hunt our ground and things of that nature. And the way that we do it today is. Is that deer something that would make you proud to harvest and proud to mount on your wall? So if you are willing to pay a tax service to put that deer on your wall and that deer gets you excited, that's something that you know you have the privilege to hunt or to harvest. Um, and then now it's gotten to the point where everyone in our group has harvest you know, that deer got that deer hunting itch and you know, now we're going after them, you know, extremely nice. Class whitetail, things of that nature,
0: and it's kind of just kind of like almost also self respect. Like the animal, it's like, hey, shoot something bigger than your last, or like you said, something that's gonna make you happy. But it's also like, if you shoot a one forty, your your next like goal should be hit one fifty.
1: Are we in a good area of Minnesota? Good night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, he, no 100%. I have no perspective. Like, yeah, yes. I've seen some deer driving around the roads. I've seen turkeys. Yep. I look and I'm like, dude, this sets up well. But but there's places in Ohio. You can get a ten or fifteen inch swing on like two and a half year old, three three and a half year old, like one area. Your three and a half year old might be one twenty. But if you were two counties to the east, west, north, he might be one forty. And he might be one fifty five. I just I had no yeah. perspective of where we sit in this. So the, I this would scheme of the state.
4: I would say so I'm from northern Minnesota originally where the deer are small. Like sure. kinda like like 110s, what you yeah, know, the antlers are small. The antlers are small. Sorry, The bodies are, bodies unless are you massive, run,
2: Unless you're on the swamp donkey,
4: right? Right, unless you're really going down here. There's, in my opinion, and we talked about this, there's a legitimate chance on I would even venture to say any piece of ground. If you're going back and putting in the work to find good deer habitat and good travel corridors, especially during the rut, pre rut, you can run in relatively easily, run into a 150 inch deer. Yeah, okay. Pretty, high, high odds yeah. of doing that. I
1: mean, is this Are, Facebook's 150 or is this legit uh, tape? Because, yeah, a lot of people throw out the term 140, they're mid 30s, dear. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. yep.
4: So, I last year I shot a, a 127 inch eight point stud eight. Yes, stud eight. I thought he was way bigger than that, and we put the tape on him. I said 127. Obviously, it's, I was jacked about him, but it put in perspective exactly what you said. It, versus- it, right?
1: Every it, and and I'm not a stickler, dude. Something's 20 inches wide it's going to die. It can be a hundred inch buck. Yep. Um, you know something's got big beams. Something's got a little more mass. Like I get it. So so, but no, the the the, the, the inches you just described, I think that paints a really good picture. Mm-hmm. But I do want to hear about World War Four.
3: All right. So World War Four. So <clears throat> I was. Basically sent to the top of this bluff, 800 feet elevation, straight up and down, for the sake of the story, right? No, no, no,
1: that's really good, uh, because Ohio gaps are 300 to 500, 600 foot floor to ceiling.
3: Right, so 800 foot elevation, I was sent up the face of this bluff, and I was told to find a good spot to stand and make the deer go to the left. I'm like, all right, sweet, this is my last drive of the season, gotta go home and study, and so I'm getting jacked, like... Pumped to go up, I'm in a prime spot, dad put me on the deer, right? And so, in the process of going up this bluff, I uh, dropped my gun several times.
5: (laughs) Just a klutz. Yeah.
3: Just admit it, you were a klutz. Yeah, 100%. Well, it's not to mention straight up and down. Yeah. And so, I get to the top of this bluff, and I find this pine tree that is very sizable, in size, absolutely thrashed. Giant, you know, thrashing marks from obviously a big deer. And I go and find this opening and I'm like, hmm, this looks like a good spot to stand. So keep in mind in this situation, I have my 357 pistol and I have my Mossberg uh, bolt action, two in the clip, one in the chamber, and I'm standing there and I am bored out of my mind. Found a twig playing with the tree next to me and I'm like Man, this looks like a good spot. It'd be really nice if some deer came in Keep in mind my opening is in that 40 Yard range like tops. Okay, and I'm playing with my tree named it Bob at this point I'm just like hey Bob think there's any deer over here, you know, thinking it's gonna be a good spot And next thing you know, here's a doe 40 yards from me, so I take a step, draw my Mossberg, clip the safety off, doe turns broadside, shoot it, runs away, and I'm like, Mossberg's junk because I dropped it so many times, <laughs> so I throw the Mossberg away, and next thing you know, here comes another doe running out the other side, so I take out the pistol, boom, 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 that doe keeps running. Now I'm absolutely beyond furious because I just missed two great opportunities to harvest an animal and go home with something before I have to study. So reload the weapons and all of a sudden it sounds like an 18-wheeler is coming through these woods, right? Biggest deer I have ever seen in my life to this point. Keep in mind, about 60 yards through some brush, very evident, four points on one side, very, very big deer. So I take the Mossberg, I go to where I think the vitals would be, pull the trigger. Deer stands there and looks at me. I'm like, Mossberg is for sure drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. now take the pistol back. I'll, boom, 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 boom. How,
1: how big is this 357? Is this a six-inch barrel or like a two? Six-inch. Okay. Okay. Yep. Had to make sure.
3: So still love. <laughs> the 357's empty at this point, but there's more deer coming at me. Okay. A lot of deer, <laughs> and closer than 40 yards range. So I go back to the mouse bird, boom, ch- boom, ch- boom, and they all just keep running at me, okay? Now I am beyond upset and keep reloading both weapons, getting prepared for the next wave of deer, and these ones come in a length. Like I'm talking 10 to 12 deer, all angles. At this point, I really should have just taken my buckmark out and tried to stab one because they were that close. Kept coming at me, kept shooting, not harvesting a single animal. And um, now I'm very, very beyond frustrated because I had multiple options to harvest an animal. And I was not successful in any of them. And now there's even more commotion coming through the woods. And now at this point, I don't know what to do. Okay, I'm (laughs) to the point where I'm about to tackle these deer when they come running at me. Thankfully, they were the drivers, and now I had to admit that I just missed like twenty deer in forty-five minutes. And uh, how many how many bullets roughly have you gone through at this point? Well, I emptied my three fifty-seven, which was twenty-five bullets to the box. <laughs> <laughs> I went through four boxes of shotgun shells. No, not successful at all.
2: Holy smokes, bro. Yeah, because those slug, slug slugs are four to a box. Yeah. All I got to say is you,
0: you must have hit that scope really dang hard on a tree stump or something on the way up. I, oh, gets, I
3: think he was holding the wrong eye open. <laughs> 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 so the drivers come forward and they go, how many did you get? And I'm like, I didn't get a single one. And he goes, well, how about this one right here? So the first deer I shot at was the one I harvested. By the time the drivers found me, I had boxes of ammunition. My gear bag was spread all over. I still don't think I found everything that I took out of my gear bag that day in frustration. But we got one. So I was able to go home with something. Man. And, that's, and, it, and since that hill
4: has been named World War Four, yeah, because of the commotion. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'd like to point it back to Georgie, who in the commotion of all of that... You were able to harvest... Yeah, yeah, I was... Same I was, drive. Yeah,
2: same drive. I was so mad that Dad didn't let me go up there because I knew what was going to happen. and Because every year it was so exciting up there. And there was always only one guy that could go up there. And Dad was like, nope, Eric's the only one going up there. So little brother syndrome came in... <laughs> And I was just pissed at the bottom of the hill. I was right below Eric on the turn of one of our four other trails. Oh, so you're hearing it. Oh, all. well, and this was before it, right? And this is before World War Four happened. And I'm sitting there, and I, I might have went to the bathroom right before all of this commotion happened. And then all of a sudden I hear just a freight train coming through this ravine right at me. And I'm like, what is that? Like, the drive, I don't even think the drive had happened at that point. what happened is the big buck came right down the ravine right to me staring at me and i rack one off at him and then i go running around the four-wheeler trail and he's standing right as he's about to cross and i just start unloading on him and i was so happy and then right after it is when eric unloaded his guns multiple times but i couldn't be more happy i was just sitting at the bottom just staring at this thing and i was in my orange uh one-piece zip-up at the time. <laughs> well yeah, who didn't an orange
0: Yeah,
1: Back in the day, Look, he onesie's not a bad option, that's right? You got one thing to the woods if you're going in. It's so easy. And yeah, yeah. that's you, you gotta go to the bathroom. And run that's yeah. true. Man,
5: you are one zipper away from down your Grundy's. You're good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what you guys have hinted that you've seen a, a huge uptick in, in caliber of bucks, what you're able to harvest Do you think it's been tactic-based, management-based, food plots, uh, timber improvement, combination of all?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to a combination of all, right? We stopped driving, right, as Eric and I, I think I was... How old are you at this time? I think I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school. You were just in the college when we said, hey, Dad, give us five years, right? Let's stop driving, give us five years, let's see what happened. And at that point... What happened is we started to retain more deer, right? Deer stopped getting pushed off a property. We started to create more food sources, more bedding, more water, and they started to stick around. And the biggest thing was we weren't pressuring them. And so with that became bigger caliber deer. What would you say as far as a, um,
1: oh, you guys as hunters, Biggest improvement that uh, if you could grab yourself at, I'll call it 18, 19, be like, dude, stop doing this and
2: start doing X. Enter and exit. Entry and exit. If you can't be detected on the way in or the way out, and if they feel comfortable, they aren't going to know. And the biggest thing is what comes from that is the pressure. Right. They're always going to feel comfortable no matter where they are on the property, which in turn is going to let them stay on your property longer.
1: Would you say a majority, like when do you kill a majority of your bucks, do you feel like? When is like, oh man, I'm, I'm getting to my... Yeah, I mean the hard. big... Because some guys are early season, some guys are late season guys. Yeah. You had the food, some guys are, dude, I'm, I'm a rut hunter.
2: Yeah, it's tough because there's been multiple years where we've killed them on opening weekend. Right, but it came opening down. Week above? Of yeah. opening week in a boat. which starts when in Minnesota. second like uh, September third, third weekend or so. Se- second or third depends yeah, on. the second line. or third. So like let's
1: year. blanket fifteenth or the twenty-first yeah, <laughs> yeah, right
2: there in September. If you have the intel from your cameras and you can pattern them, it's a matter of if they switch <laughs> their fall pattern or not. Right, if you have the, the consistent drop or not. Yeah, if you have the consistent warm weather leading up to it in two thousand sixteen, I was sitting in the sand at two p.m. and it was eighty degrees. So if
1: you guys have green beans, is it a if you do some homework as far as glassing cameras, blah blah. Absolutely, that, dude. That's a it's a yep. very deadly tactic.
2: And if you if you can get them within the transition periods, it's game over.
1: Now uh, let me ask this, Bluff Country. If you guys get a windstorm. September 20th, does that
3: screw you? Where it dumps all the oaks? I mean, I would say back in the day, yes. uh Not now with all our food sources. And going back to your original question about 18, 19 years old, what can you do different? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, because you didn't answer.
3: Yeah, so Jordan was 110% right. Entrance and exit is everything but if you were to add one more layer to that conversation, I would say watering holes. Mm -hmm. Most people overlook, most people go straight to food sources, bedding, all these things, but they do not understand how much water these deer need. And they just automatically assume I have to build a three-acre pond that's going to cost a hundred thousand okay. dollars.
1: Okay, so I'm going to ask you to elaborate. What?
2: What is your? The, are, are you guys building a little like? I mean, you could you could go to Fleet Farm and get one of those big cattle troughs, mm-hmm. and you yeah. could use a shovel, yeah. and put it into right like you have a little ravine, and you drop, and you know that the rainwater is going to drain into there, and you're going to be perfectly fine. There was, I mean, Dad showed up the one day. To his main spot, and he had this plastic pond. I'm like, Dad, what are you gonna do with this? How many
1: self-made water holes have you guys installed on this piece?
3: To this point, yeah, six, six, six or seven. Okay. And so, I mean, just to elaborate on it all, mm-hmm. is it all started with? It all started with this Earth Pond, and Earth Pond is still in business today. Okay. So Earth Pond is a kiddie pool on steroids for deer. So what they, their claim to fame is it's more of earth-like, right? More of a natural landscape, and it's got a hard bottom so deer can't poke through it, Mm -hmm. okay? So that's what kind of started this whole revolution of like, wow, water holes really make this difference, right? And then from that standpoint, we just spun it off of, okay, let's not buy an earth pond in this situation because of the way the ravine flows. Let's just dam this up and make a pond the same size as a kiddie pool and do the same thing.
1: So you're damming up a creek.
3: Mm-mm. Or a, a creek. Nope. Ravine. Nope. ravine. Just a ravine. Like, like on a, got a hillside, out. right? You have two
2: ravines that are coming together and you have an Just natural a Just a, a, a runoff. Yep. A runoff of Yeah, but then the biggest thing with that is like someone goes in there and builds a pond, you need to have a drainage out of it, or overflow. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the overflow, you will not have a pond in two years.
3: Because yeah. the dam will get blown out. It'll yeah, wear itself up. Interesting. Yeah. and you're, so
1: j- keep in mind, I'm a uh, dominant publicly and Big Woods guy. Like I, I don't, I, I have some C minus food plots of winter rye. Like I am not Mr. Habitat. So right, okay. but let's
3: say let's say you're a 40 acre guy mm-hmm. on a budget hunting. I cannot stress the, the importance of investing in a kitty pond, an earth pool renting a skid steer for the weekend and buying a $100 PVC pipe from Menards. Okay. So to Jorgen's point with the overflow, okay, so let's say you go and you rent and a skid steer and build a four foot dam to make a six foot pond, right? right? If you don't put in the PVC pipe over time, that overflow, when you do get those tsunami rains, it's gonna take your dam out. So, install that $100 PVC pipe, let that water go somewhere, keeping your dam intact. And so, basically, the point of this whole comment is it doesn't have to be a three-acre pond. It can be a four-, five-, six-foot pond.
1: And I always hear food plots or timber stand improvement. Water holes, there's only been one podcast that Jake Hofer did from Exodus in the last year that I've heard like. The guy literally was speaking much uh, to this where he's like, dude, if you own property, you don't have a good water source or a water hole, like you're overlooking a very key aspect of killing deer on your Yeah. Point.
2: Well, I mean, it comes down to, like, think of you as a human,
1: right? What do you need? You need water, food, bed. And dude, if you will die with no water in three days. Right? You can survive like 20 without food. Yep. So
2: think about it, like put yourself as a whitetail. If you don't have water, where are you going to go? You're going to go find the creek. Or you're going to go find the pond. Well, if you're trying to retain mature whitetails and you don't have a little baby pond, even if you go to Walmart and buy a little kiddie pool that you shovel in and it just fills with rainwater, you got no luck. Well, okay, let me ask
1: this. Because um, I have a 18-acre property with a creek that runs through it. I'm like, I can get water there all yep. the time. And there's a little, like... Uh, pools in that creek, but but it's not
2: I don't have any dams, I don't yep. have any am I uh, missing something? You could potentially mm-hmm. because, they, be, because of the point of, so dad and Eric always were like, well we have too many food plots, we have too many water holes, we have the river going through it okay, ease of access can they walk from bed to food to water with ease of access are you getting in there without them seeing you and they can still access all of that because they've got a creek that runs through our whole property. But how many times do you see them going to it rather than the ponds that we've created for them? How many deer do you think in the last 10 years you guys have killed on
1: these more man-made-ish?
2: In the last 10 years? Yeah, yeah, I mean, every year you kill one over water. Yeah, I mean, mostly... The- Somebody in the group yeah. does? Yeah, a mature whitetail. So,
1: 140 class plus buck. 150. Okay. Yep. <laughs> He's died via water... And so
3: just to kind of go back to your comment with the 18 acres, so keep in mind in our situation, we have a creek run through the bottom, 800 feet of elevation, bucks run the ridges during rut, so those ridge water sources are very key, you know what I mean, because they're not going to, you know, go off of a doe and rut to go all the way down the bluff to get the water.
2: They're going to follow that doe to wherever the doe's going, and that doe's going to stay right on, that, on her path. Mm-hmm. And if you make it easy for her, they're going to stay right with her. And she's not going to go to the bottom.
3: And I'm not even going to attempt to name the statistic, but it is a unbelievable amount of water that bucks require during rut.
1: Um, let me ask this. Is there a uh, – you, you mentioned the rut. Uh, is there a time of year you're like, dude, water holes are a- – I don't know, Our the last 10 years, we've kid a little more bucks early season on them when it's hot or is it a rut more tactic? Mid-October, they're not so good. Is there any themes you guys see as time of year with, with Waterhole? What about in the winter? I mean, <laughs> it's cold as shit.
0: Well, I think the main thing, so like the main river that runs through here, there's a current to it so it, it, it'll it get ice on it but it will never freeze. Mm-hmm. So that's one main thing and then the other thing, it's like there was one time Jorgen and I, one of the first times I sat down here in that same little tub that, Eric mentioned that his dad got and it was sitting there and it was a yearling doe and then, or yearling deer and the deer was smart enough to break the ice open to get to the water. Mm. So, and then I can let Jurgen and Aaron take it and describe more about the river, but I mean, I think, I mean, whether if it's hot, just like you, it's like, even if you, freaking so work
1: I, it. My question was, is uh, it, it related to like, dude, yeah, we've killed three or four bucks, you know, out of our 10 oh. early season, but it, it doesn't matter time of year. It's a, it's, it's like
2: I mean, sure, we, it's good year round. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. good year round because Absolutely. there's no, yeah. there's Just like no out. Yeah, yeah, we
0: need water all the time.
2: But you're gonna you're gonna center them in more on a watering hole versus a creek, mm-hmm. on where they're crossing, right? Like the creek, they're gonna cross, they're gonna get a drink. If you have a watering hole in their main area, you're always gonna center them in on that. Are you, are you now to the point
1: where you're putting water holes? We put play, In a little we, bit more strategic yeah. locations like, hey, we know that's a good doe bedding area, yeah. we know that's a good doe bedding area. Yeah, connect getting, the dots. Right.
2: We're getting to the point where it's like we've created the woods and to put it to this standpoint, you put the play into the playbook. Right? And you see so you put the water hole, you put the bedding area, you put the food, and you know where they're traveling to and from, and you always know when. And so to put a a watering hole in a certain area, you're putting that play in the playbook. Mm. And you know when they're gonna come, or at least an idea. Interesting. hmm The water hole.
3: Yeah, I think it's the- uh, More powerful than a food plot. 100%. Yeah. Not, not even a close second.
1: Uh, are scrapes a big deal here in bluff country?
3: Yes, no? Yeah, scrapes are a really big deal. I think the biggest deal in uh, bluff country, and Blake and Jorgen, correct me if I'm wrong, is understanding wind flow with the bluffs in factor. Mm -hmm. So the top third of a bluff, so if you think of like the bottom of the bluff, the middle, and then the top, right? So in that top third with the way that wind flows, that the deer are basically like protected because they can they can sense the wind coming over. So they know what's over the top of the bluff and then what's below the bluff. And so understanding the way the wind flows through the bluff and then position your stands accordingly. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, like I, and so I have found, cause I hunt some, some bluff stuff and, and just some true like big hills. Um, I tend to like sub 10 mile an hour days. Mm-hmm. I feel like once I get above 10 miles an hour, I get a lot more bounce, if you will, where maybe more unpredictability. Do you guys, do you guys have a, a, a mile per hour that you guys like, or,
0: or? I think depending on the wind direction too. Like say like, let's say it's for instance opener last opener last year. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys we get a lot of south winds? Do you, do you we do had it? strong south winds and we were discombobulated on where to go, and we had deer showing up, but it was still kind of a lot of nighttime pictures but then with that south wind it's like okay you, you can go kind of obviously like wherever but it's like and then you can get mobile with it too but then it's like that south wind for us personally on this farm there's one or two good spots mm. but then it depends on the type of the year too whether it's late season or early season but but yeah and that like that south wind it, it was just tough for us but then I mean, I mean in the bluff country
2: if you can tuck away from the wind you're gonna see deer Okay. Because they're like, especially on the high wind days, right? Like, I've had multiple encounters. One of the biggest deer that we've ever had on the farm, I went on the off wind side and I was part of him. Mm. Because he didn't have the wind to his advantage and he was following a doe that day.
1: Do you guys do a lot of like uh, wind map scouting? Like, I feel like in, that's something I've, I don't know. Now I'm a lot more conscious of like, hey, this hillside, three out of four days it blows north. Yep. Yeah. Regardless of whatever the wind, the map app says. Yeah. But like, rewind three or four years ago, I was what? just like, "Oh, here's a good spot to hunt." Like, like you know, there's a good scrape in the middle of this yeah. this terrain feature. But yeah. as or, far as wind mapping, that's something that that now I'm starting to do a lot more of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, as we progress throughout it, you start to pay attention to those little things, and within the last three years, we've really started to pay yeah. attention to it because on certain winds. You want to be on certain sides of those bluffs along with your enter and exit from those stands. And that's the biggest thing for
0: us. Well, yeah, and then obviously like with that, and then say it's like, say we're like, I'm from where it's like northwestern Minnesota, like there's not much terrain on stuff. If you have a north wind, it's north. And then you come down here mm. and that's all, that's all in the Red reality. Then you come down here and it's not, you may have a northwest wind, but there are some stands and some pinch points and ravines that the wind could swirl and benefits you. But then there's also ones where you get in the center. There's been plenty of times where Jorgen and I have gotten in a, tr- even anybody in our poker, even Devin probably where you get in there and you use some, whatever, something to indicate the win and you just don't feel confident about the wind switching. And there's immediate times where I'm like, Jorgen, I don't feel confident. Where should I, like, obviously like, I kind of know where to go. It's, but where should I go where you think could also benefit me? So it's like, you don't want to blow out your number one spot if you don't feel confident with that swirling wind. So then we most times back out. Then there's also times where we'll sit after dinner time, we'll sit there and talk about, even if it's just and I at the farm late season, we'll still take an hour to decide on what, sorry, Dev's making a face at me, I mean. You guys are the only guys that hunt late season now? All right, sorry. The <laughs> more, come on, man. The guys hey, that, he the did ga- put that out there. The guys that hunt late season that, that stay are- up past 1030 at night. Are so you guys
1: uh, a one buck state or multiple?
0: So
3: as it sits right now, we can kill one buck per weapon. In this zone, farm is one buck per hunter. Yeah, it varies by Okay, so done. you
1: shoot uh, uh, October first, November. You're, you're, you're done. done. You're done. Okay. Yep. Well, th-
0: then you can come back. Like I, there's been times where I personally have shot a buck in October, and then I'm like, hey, hey, I want to come down and still hunt. B I wanna record and get filmed like when River Brothers just starting going. And C it's like we always try to thin the dough herd as well. Mm-hmm. So and then you can shoot I mean you can buy X mm-hmm. amount of dough takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that but that varies by zone. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool self management yeah. aspect.
1: But that's probably you guys hinted, like, hey, we've really turned this place around from fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Any, anything else you think has really just like Man, I think we're doing this right.
3: So, I guess I'll just speak to the food plots because that's... Yeah, like, you're
1: Mr. Food Plot.
3: Yeah, I hunt for the land management side of things. Like when I'm sitting in the stand over a food plot, I'm thinking about next year's food plot. I'm not thinking about the hunt like the rest of the people around this table. Or Toon Blast. Yeah, and I'm playing Toon Blast while I'm doing it, but that's another story. Um, hey, what level are you though, Eric? Come on, tell everybody. One thousand two hundred and fifty six. <laughs> so, um, one thing that we do differently that I think we do very much right is we will plant corn and beans at the exact same time in the same field and then we'll strategically plant the corn to shield the deer and make them feel protected. So it does two things, it gives you shelter to what Jorgen alluded to earlier about entrance and exit to the stand, but then it also protects that food plot for late season, okay? So, for example, everyone, like the number one thing that people say about soybeans is overgrazing. It doesn't make it to late season, okay? So we'll have, for example, in a two-acre food plot, we'll have a half an acre of it straight soybeans, and then we'll have, you know, an acre and a half of it or excuse me, an acre, yeah, acre and a half of it in corn plus soybeans. So then the deer are gonna come out, eat the soybeans, and then in the late season, when they truly need the food and the nutrients, they're gonna go into that corn, they're not only gonna have corn, but they're also gonna have soybeans within that corn. Okay. What about
5: the whole concept of the screen plots? Because that's kind of been new last, like, what, two years?
3: Yeah. yeah, so the other thing we're doing, and that is solely a machine aspect of it, is if you can't get a tractor and a corn planter into a certain situation, we're using a plot screen. So every manufacturer or every food plot company out there has their version of it. Yeah. And then we're using a plot screen to make sure that you can get in and out of a stand.
1: What, what is it? Uh, it? Are you guys Egyptian wheat guys or there's a few other
3: Popular. So, plot screen is Egyptian weed plus sorghum. Okay. And then pick your manufacturer. Okay. And then they're going to have their own mix of what that, you know, mix is. Okay.
0: I mean, last year, the one at, over at the granary that one shot up quick. That one's probably oh, pushing it. That one's probably pushing eight feet.
2: Yeah, and then we had that
0: big windstorm that blew it all over. Yeah, that, that it it looked tough. like depressing <laughs>
3: cattails that just got their heart ripped out or something. Yeah, so. well, it didn't help that the neighbor's cattle got into it, too. So, <laughs> yeah. that knocked it over, too. Gotcha. So, but Jorgen, Blake, Devin, do you guys have anything to add on that question?
2: I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing around that, to your point, was the screen plot and the corn right like it, if you can create a shelter that you can put in there to walk in and out of a buffer in a or a buffer right that's going to be the biggest key point point. and that's what we've learned over the years right field of dreams granary all of those plots that we couldn't figure out for the longest time that's what it came down to was creating the buffer on the outside edge and once we did that all of the deer that came into that plot on the inside were just comfortable and they yeah. hung out, and we continued to see big, mature deer
3: in
0: those. I mean, there's been some, tra- I mean, obviously, like, when we were on cell cameras, there's sometimes you get a picture of one deer in it, Then there's sometimes you get a picture, and you look in the back, and you're like, oh, dude, there's freaking nine does and two little bucks coming out, and then the next picture, boom, there's freaking 12 deer in the field, and there was, at, whether if it was at 7.37 at night or 2.30 in the afternoon during the rut. Yeah. I would say one of my favorite
5: things I've learned in the last few years is the ability to pattern deer early season, because like obviously we put a ton of time into the cameras and you know checking SD cards throughout the summer and leading up to opening weekend of bow season. Like if we have those, you know mature whitetails dialed. The likelihood of going in and killing that deer is so high early season. Yeah, I mean, what, do you
1: guys do uh, glassing missions?
0: Like sometimes, a couple weeks
1: out, like it's tough with like,
0: all of us being gone all the time. Like we all, like Eric obviously lives here, and for a while yeah. Devin left here. But I mean, like most of you guys are from the cities, and I'm obviously From, from some people come from elsewhere, but it's like most times if we can, we'll park sure, up on like, the
1: road. Like right. just a uh, conversation speak. Like if I was a guy living in a. Kentucky maybe a state that opens around the 15th like I could see where you're like maybe I burn a day of PTO on a Wednesday September 7th to go glass a, a field or whatever even though I'm not hunting like there's no chance of me seasons not open but knowing seven days later season kicks off I did see a bachelor group in field A
2: yeah I mean the, the toughest part down here is in your bluff country right yeah. like you you aren't gonna roll up to a field and see those deer you want to see. If you want to see the mature bucks that we're chasing, mm-hmm. they're in the little food plots, or they're in the yeah. back fields, or they're in the places where it's like, if you're gonna go in there, it's, you're gonna be hanging out. So so it's, and so yeah, it's, it's, tough, it's not worth the intrusion. Right, it's tough to do that. And to Devin's point, I think you well, can kill them there. Right, and like Cecilia's buck was that last year. That, that was last, last year. Last year. So like, so we kicked our opener a week out because we had different things going on and our, op- our bow opener is a big deal. But the thing that that did for us is we patterned a couple deer and I put Cecilia in on what we call as Devil's Tower, one of our top plots and I knew the two bucks that were going to go up there and she killed one of them mm-hmm. exactly when we knew they were going to come in and the reason for it was that watering hole and the food source and the bedding so close.
0: And she, like, then the way Jorgen had it down, like, there's just some spots. Like, I think every like, obviously it's, like, everyone kind of has, like, their own, like, critiques of the farm. But it's, like, when it comes to that devil's tower spot, it's, like, Jorgen knows that the, that area in that bedroom in the woods, like, the back of his hand. And he told C where he was going to come out in a time frame. And I think he was within one trail of the, deer that, of the trail that it came out. And he was within two minutes of when the buck came sure. out. Sure.
2: But it all came down to the bedding that we created, the food, and the water source.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And going back to your original question about something that, you know, absolutely this is what we do that makes a difference. Going back to, I read Lee and Tiffany's book, and he talked about, Lee specifically talked about what made his Iowa farm a difference was when he moved to the farm and he was there all the time. And I think that was an also a big difference maker too, is when I moved to the farm, I was here all the time. We were driving through the woods all the time with the Rangers and the ATVs and all that stuff. And I think that's a big difference maker is you have to pick either nothing or everything, Yeah. right? Like you're either always in the woods with your ATVs or you're never in the woods with your ATVs. Yeah, Right. because
1: they get used to them. Yeah. Right. My small farm, it's a tiptoe game. Yep. Set the mousetrap, hunted a few four days a year, three days a year.
3: Yep. But then when you live there full time and yeah. you're in the woods every day, it's no big deal. Yeah, And then we alluded to the cell cameras and stuff like that. And just something to note is we live in the land of no cell phone service. We've had the best luck with the mulch and cell cams. Yeah. And that's made a big difference too.
0: Those new, those new deltas, I. I got a I got an Instagram notification about it, and I sent it to Jorgen. I was like, "Dude, Tom, I, they
1: they clearly don't know my my stance on
4: self." I was
0: I was kind of avoiding that. <laughs> <laughs> <because laughs> Do so you it, want it, me? And, keep going no, or no, 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 no. And, no, no, no. And, and, only,
4: and only because we're we're trying to keep this podcast in a timely manner to an extent, and it's, <laughs> it's, over. it's we it's, we, it's we gotta go time... chase birds in the morning. We gotta yeah, go yeah. chase yeah. birds in the morning. So I'm fine to go down this route. No, 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 because I think I did preface somebody. Was saying, and I don't remember who it was, but it was like, cell cams is an interesting topic, and yeah. we can go a lot. Of it moves. is. Yeah, yeah. They I think we might save that one. on this podcast,
1: dude. It's it's a hundred percent. People know how I stand. Yeah, I'll make
0: this yeah. short and sweet. Yeah. I'll make this short and sweet. Eric used to love trail cameras. Eric loves driving the Ranger to get trail cameras, but when it comes to checking the cards and all that stuff. That is a Jorgen and mostly myself and also Devin priority. But now with all of us being gone, those cell cameras and us being four hours away, three hours away, six hours away, all was us making shorts sure with me personally, I love them because it's like, hey, I can if I were to shoot down on the farm one day after work, I'd come in here at 2 in the morning and wake up at 5 in the morning and go hunt. I can know off of my gut feeling if the wind is right. I can go in there and see something without having to blow out a different area. So I'll just keep that short and sweet. Like, I use them, but yeah. All right, we're gonna go outside of this land.
2: Of the sale,
1: oh, Yeah. no, no, no. no, we're no, to no. Stay away. But, but I think this was a lot of good talk on um, your guys' evolution as hunters, yeah. the farm evolution, bluff country, some some tactics, the waterhole thing. Fuck, that was. Uh, Eye opening. Uh, I'm thinking about what I gotta go buy and, and, <laughs> and I and I have maybe had a, rent pay a guy to run a dozer on my piece next year. I got next thirsty <laughs> yeah. water. Here,
4: this is and going back to that because this is a piece and I, I don't remember who it was. I kind of think it was Jeff Sturgis who said it and he's bluff country guy. Yeah, he's yeah, wild well, just going to the Yep. And and he he said and he it might not it might have been anyways. He said somebody said, What do you like to do when you wake up? Get a, drink of water. get a drink of water. And so, same kind of perspective of, like you said, location, put it where it's easily accessible, bedrooms, and also put it where they're, like your access to it, they're not going to be able to be standing there and see you coming in from 200 yards away, 100 yards away. Put it somewhere where you can get into 40, yeah. glass it, is, see is if Is the next mox
1: scrape? I I think if it's, it's re- where, where we're it. like it's it wasn't talked about so much, but yeah. But, uh, when people figured out it could be a very good tactic in certain right. elements, right, and very overlooked at some right. points. Mm-hmm. I I don't know the the, the podcast uh, my buddy Jake Hofer did uh, on I don't even know the guy's name, but he talked a lot about water holes, and I was just like, man. I I think if you're a small landowner, it's yeah. something that that most guys probably don't don't look. Well, yeah. and from an... Food plots TSI, those are all dominant topics. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And from yeah. an investment standpoint, right? Like, let's be all honest. Like, we all hunt for fun. It's our hobby. You know, there's only a very small portion of it that gets paid to do this for a living. Money doesn't grow on trees. You only have so much money. Mm-hmm. If You're going to invest in one thing, invest in a well-placed waterhole.
1: How much uh, would be a small-level kitty pond? Well, if you're going to... Assuming, gonna go- uh, let's say a guy also got a... A lot of guys don't have dozers, you yeah. know, but they can, they can grab a shovel. Like yeah. most guys so have shovels that are just sitting in the garage.
3: If you're going to go the extreme cheap route, go to Walmart and buy a kitty pond. Yeah. If you want to take it one step further, go buy the earth pond. Okay, how much is the Earth Pond compared to the Kitty Pond? So, 300 we, bucks. Yeah, but we bought our Earth Pond like a lot. $300, <laughs> but, but it lasts 20 years.
1: It's not going right. to break either. Those
0: yeah. little Kitty Ponds. Kitty ponds, ponds are going to break. Like right. right, last You could
4: you go for the cattle, cattle trough, too. That's the other thing I was going to say. Those
0: Farm. Farm, yeah. fly. Facebook Marketplace, you can get them. A couple hundred bucks, hundred bucks. yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Buy two, do an ice plunge, cold right. plunge. Yeah. We yeah. talked about that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Very yeah. cool, guys. Hey, This has been a good conversation. I, I think there's been some cool takeaways from a little bit of backstory, but uh, a l- there's been some cool topics discussed as far as the bluff country. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you guys want to leave us with? No, thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it. Uh, hit us with the website. Riverbrothers.com, baby.
4: That's right. Check them out, guys. Appreciate it.